Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Hello, friends of the Bill Press Pod. Happy New Year and welcome to this first Reporters Roundtable of the New Year. And it turns out that this first week of 2023 may be the wildest one of all. Republicans made history this week, but not the kind of history they were hoping for. They were planning to make history as the new sheriff in town, guns ablazing, going after Hunter Biden, Joe Biden, and the January 6th committee. Instead, they're making history as the gang that can't shoot straight, failing now after 11 votes so far to elect a new Speaker of the House and publicly humiliating Kevin McCarthy. Will it ever end? How will it end? And what are the real-world consequences of such chaos in the House of Representatives? Here's our panel standing by to weigh in with the latest. Sadiq Reddy, Senior Managing Editor of Politico. Hello, Sadiq. Hi, Bill. Happy New Year. Thank you. Lauren Victoria Burke, writer for The Guardian and Black Press USA. Hi, Lauren. Welcome back. How are you, Bill? And David Jackson, national political correspondent for USA Today. Hello, David. Hello, hello Bill. How are you doing? All right. No member elect having received a majority of the whole number of votes cast, a speaker has not been elected. A speaker has not been elected. A speaker has not been elected. Well, there she is, Cheryl Johnson, now 11 times making that statement. With such, uh, she's so cool at doing so that some people have suggested they ought to just elect her the speaker. <laughs> uh, so, David Jackson, last Monday, January 2nd, I first reached out to you about joining the roundtable this Friday, <laughs> and you shot me an email back saying, I'm in. Maybe we'll have a speaker by then. <laughs> uh, David, how'd that work out? <laughs> Not so well. I was very much on the whole. Uh, I think this thing will be resolved in a couple of days and we'll have a decision by the end of the week. But obviously it hasn't worked out that way. Uh, I guess my thing was that uh, talking to the Republicans last month, the feeling was that if that if uh, McCarthy had lost the first two or three ballots, that someone in the party, the powers that be, would go to him and say, hey, look, maybe you should think about withdrawing in, in favor of Steve Scalise or Jim Jordan or whoever else could, might be acceptable to these people. But it slowly dawned on me over the last couple of days that there are no powers that be in the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. It's just total chaos and rudderless. And here we are and with a very uncertain future. Well, it certainly seems that way to most people watching it, uh, except for Kevin McCarthy himself. Uh, Sudeep, Kevin McCarthy left uh, the House floor yesterday after losing 11 votes in a row and said, hey, man, this is great. Here he is. This is a new thought we're going to have to have. We have a five-seat majority. So it's not one side's going to get more than another. It's the entire conference is going to have to learn how to work together. So it's better that we go through this process right now so we can achieve the things we want to achieve for the American public, what our commitment was. 
So if this takes a little longer and it doesn't meet your deadline, that's okay. Because it's not, it, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. And if we finish well, we'll be very successful. So Sudeep, hey, this is good for the party. Good for Republicans. <laughs> this is the man who does not fear making a fool of himself, obviously, um, as part of this. But I actually think um, there's some part of it that is is right. It, it's certainly not good good for the party or good for the the outcomes for that the party wants. But he is right that this is the way that the Republicans will have to govern. These are the 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 handful of members who are going to be able to d- determine every little move that the party wants to make, and regardless of who is in charge, that's what will happen. Um, that it was, it's these handful of members, the four or five members who will be able to dictate just about every move going forward, regardless of whether it's Speaker McCarthy or Speaker Scalise or Speaker somebody else. But, but I guess what he's not saying is doesn't this in effect erode, very seriously erode the power of the Speaker, whoever it is? Oh, of course. Yeah. And he's he's already done that. And by going uh, past three or six ballots um, and especially with the latest rounds of concessions that he's made uh, in the last 24 to 36 hours, uh, he's basically given away the store and hampered whoever else is going to come into this role. It does not look like Kevin McCarthy is going to be speaker, but anyone else who comes in is now going to be even more challenged in cutting that deal. Um, but in the end, they were going to be challenged in governing anyway if, if John Boehner and Paul Ryan couldn't pull this off. Uh, there's no way Kevin McCarthy or anyone else in, in this version of the Republican Party is going to be able to pull it off. Lauren, I think it's striking that today's votes, which start again at noon on Friday, this is about 8.30 Friday morning when we're recording, uh, that this will occur on the second anniversary of January 6th. Um, I, I've been thinking about the connection ever since this uh, chaos started. Um, and Michael Fanon, um, who former D.C. police officer almost lost his life on January 6th, will be one of those honored today by President Biden for his heroism at the White House today, marking the second anniversary. I'd like to ask you about that connection, but let's listen first to Michael Fanon making it himself. If I could guarantee one thing about the new House majority, it's this. This is just the beginning. This type of chaos will happen every single day in the House. As some of the most extreme politicians our country has ever seen hold our democracy hostage. I should know, tomorrow marks two years since the day I almost died defending the Capitol from people who thought overthrowing the government was a good idea. So, Lauren, it seems to me that the insurrectionists are back, but they're on the floor voting for speaker. <laughs> That's right. They're on the floor voting for speaker without the metal detectors up, by the way. Hmm. Uh, and I had to write a piece on security for The Guardian on just that. And some of the members are very concerned about that. But to get back to what you're asking with regard to Michael Fanon and uh, the other officers, uh, Eugene Goodman and, and Harry Dunn will be there as well. Yep, yep. Uh, you know, you can see in this that the redundancy, the 11 votes, the whole thing, it, it will certainly continue because even though the Republicans keep saying as they go in and out of rooms in the Capitol uh, feverishly yesterday, there, there are six people that I cannot imagine under any circumstance that are just going to fall in line. You know, Matt Gates and Paul Gozer and Lauren Boebert, Scott Perry, Bob Good, they're not just going to fall in line and just do what they're told. Are you saying and, no matter no matter what Kevin McCarthy yeah. gives them? 
I, I, you know, I, I think barring somebody getting a huge committee assignment, I don't see it. And, the, you know, the votes in between rounds of votes, Kevin McCarthy was running in and out of H-217, which is right off the floor, right off the speaker's lobby, back onto the floor, uh, back and forth. And they kept telling reporters that we're close, we're this, we're that, things are changing, we're making progress. And then we're looking at the screen. We're looking at the votes, not changing. <laughs> yeah. And you've got a good 19 vote difference there. And, you know, I understand that there's a lot of reporting around that there's a deal being made, obviously, the conference call this morning. But wow, I will be very surprised if something changes today. Uh, but this is, um, you know, as you've already said, Bill, hugely embarrassing, but this is the new Republican Party. This is Republican politics right now. A small group of people are controlling the chamber. It was interesting to watch the other day. There was a group of 15 Republicans who are veterans who were making the point that they were here to get some work done. They were here to do something, and they were getting more and more frustrated. But they, so far, have not been able to change the minds of their colleagues. Well, David, let me ask you about that. These people that Lauren references are uh, the so-called moderates, <laughs> if if there are any in the Republican yeah. caucus, but all relative, huh? exactly. Um, at some point, they are complaining that Kevin McCarthy is giving away the store, maybe giving away too much. At some point, don't they just? Wouldn't you expect them to say, "Look, okay, Kevin, we like you, but it's not working. We need somebody. Let's get somebody else." I think that's right. And among the many rumors that came out this week was that some of Kevin's friends were have uh, suggested that in private and have talked about nominating Steve Scalise for speaker. He's McCarthy's number two guy, and he sees yeah. the obvious alternative in this situation, barring whatever the Freedom Caucus wants to do about it. But, yes, I, th I think that's right. I think that's already happened, that uh, some of the McCarthy allies are getting a little fidgety and want this resolved, and and those are the ones to watch. And I think I think this, the, situ the thing to watch to me is when someone makes the move to go to Scalise. Mm-hmm. That, yeah. So I, I think it's I've been surprised that his name has not been he's not been nominated so far. Right. Jim Jordan no, was no. for for a couple of ballots. But but still, not yet. Yeah, <laughs> no, exactly. Um, if you watch a CNN or any of the networks, uh, this certainly is uh, the number one <laughs> news story of the week. Uh, here's Wolf Blitzer again and again and again. Get back to our top story right now. The truly historic humiliation of Congressman Kevin McCarthy on the House floor after suffering yet another string of defeats in the race for the speakership. Uh, Sudeep, this is a humiliation for Kevin McCarthy. Is it also for Donald Trump? You know, it is uh, in a way for, for both of them. But Kevin McCarthy seems to know humiliation more than anybody. He knows <laughs> how to absorb it, how to feel it, uh, the way he, he spoke out right after January 6th uh, against Donald Trump um, uh, and immediately turned around and went and kissed the ring again in Mar-a-Lago to try to make up with Donald Trump. He's done this over and over again. He just wants the power. He just wants to win. He just wants to be speaker. He just doesn't want to be thrown out of the suite he's already occupied in the House uh, for the speaker's office. But for Donald Trump, um, he is uh, he he uh, being the, the the former president being the perfect um, meme artist um, <laughs> actually uh, put out on his social network a, a little image of him sitting a uh, Photoshop image of him sitting in the speaker's chair making a a, a kind of silly pose um, and uh, you know 
there there was chatter once upon a time about Donald Trump maybe becoming the House Speaker, <laughs> oh. and uh, and here we are. Matt. And uh, of course, Representative Matt Gates makes the uh, makes the nomination yesterday to put his name in because why not? Uh, yeah. Why not in this moment? I am actually the only thing that surprised me here is that um, Donald Trump actually came out and publicly supported uh, Kevin McCarthy yeah. just yeah. because. I thought he was just going to let him like let him wither in the wind, but um, he did come out and support him at the uh, at a time when he didn't need to do it, and it right. made no difference. So right. there's the end of the Donald Trump spell over the GOP. They just he, don't care about it. He waited a couple of days, of course, before he endorsed, but uh, but he, he did. did. You're right. He he stepped up to the plate. Now, look, Lauren, uh, several people have pointed out. The Democrats could solve this right away. I mean, they they could they could fix this right. They could uh, some several of them could vote for Kevin McCarthy and make him speaker, or they could just go away so he would need fewer votes than he does. Why don't the Democrats jump in here and help out? Well, well, because when your enemy when your enemy is making a mistake, you you just get get out of the way. I mean, I think that I think it was Congressman Jeffries who said, you know. Why are, why is this our problem effectively? I mean, what the Democrats say generally is why is this our problem? They should be able to elect a speaker. And of course, the other you know uh, point that Leader Jeffries made the other day was that these were the exact numbers that the Democrats had, and they got a bunch of stuff done. You know, the two twenty two, two twelve. Oh yeah, and mm -hmm. they got a bunch of stuff done. So so what this boils down to is not just you know the numbers and the counting and everything else. It's the ideological problems within the Republican Party, which are deep and which are for the party to fix. But you know it is getting to the point as uh, a lot of the members are bringing up on both sides that this is dangerous. You know, if we were to have some sort of a crisis, uh, the Congress would not be able to. At least the House side would not be able to handle it. A lot of the members are bringing up national security related issues. Uh, members of Congress are giving a, giving a clearance effectively when they are sworn in. They don't have any of that. They can't go in the skiff. They can't get their work done and nothing is happening. And there's really no good reason for it. So, um, you know, I don't think the Democrats will be getting in the way of this crisis. But, you know, it's building because people have things on their schedule. You have two members. One has a surgery coming up that cannot be avoided this weekend. Another member had their mother die, and that member will be not available. Uh, mm -hmm. This is both on the Republican side. Right. And, of course, we have the deadline of the 13th where staff is not going to be paid if this isn't fixed. Uh, committee staff will not be paid. So that's when the rubber really hits the road. Yeah, there are, David, there are David and, and uh, Lauren references several of them. There are real-world consequences, right, to this um, embarrassing show in the House. Oh, for sure. I mean, the, the, basically, the House can't do anything, as Lauren pointed out. Um, I mean, if we were attacked tomorrow, I mean, we wouldn't be in a position to declare war, for example. I, I guess that's the biggest thing. Um, but I, I think that it, it, it's going to have an impact one way or another, even after this is resolved, because it, you know, we have the debt ceiling situation coming up sooner, just in a several months, as Speaker Jeffries has pointed out. So the United States credit is going to be at financial credit is going to be at risk here in just several months. And there's no reason to think that these 20 or so right wing Republicans aren't going to put, put a monkey wrench into that. And we're going to have the same situation that we've got right now with the Speaker, where the, the, the House will basically be in paralysis and won't be able to do anything else. And and in many cases, that inaction will ha will have real world consequences, particularly on the economy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it already it already does, and we'll get more serious and more the longer this uh, right. this this drags out. You know, um, Sadiq, the difference between 
Kevin McCarthy and the moderates and the conservatives, um, they're differing, particularly on rules, I guess, and process, right? But overall, the agenda the Republicans have put forward um, is really one that they seem to all share. Uh, here's former, I was struck this week by former Congressman Rodney Davis, uh, Republican from Illinois, uh, talking with Jay Tapper about why the it's important why it's important that Kevin McCarthy win. Here's Rodney Davis. If Kevin McCarthy stays in this race, and we go to ballot after ballot after ballot, there's going to be a lot of pressure on them because their voters sent them here to hold Hunter Biden and Joe Biden accountable. You think that voters sent the Republican majority to the House of Representatives to hold Hunter Biden accountable? Absolutely. <laughs> So, Sadiq, that says a lot, right, about what the Republicans have put forward uh, if they were to elect a speaker. This is this is uh, Benghazi 2.0. This is the thing that they think is going to make the the difference, and it's not what uh, the the American people are are talking about. Um, but it is it is true that whoever wins the speaker's race, if it's a Republican, whoever wins it, it's a, if it's a Republican who's currently serving, is going to basically have the same agenda around. Uh, around Hunter Biden and embarrassing Joe Biden and trying to do use the office for that purpose. Um, the, the, the around the edges difference in who, who takes charge and what kind of concessions McCarthy gives are, are really around what, how does this hamper the ability to do a debt ceiling deal or a mm -hmm. government shutdown deal um, in a clean way. But Paul Ryan and John Boehner struggled with this as well, and they're ultimately going to need Democratic votes to do it. And that could be the end of whoever is the speaker um, to have to, to lean on uh, on Democratic votes to pull it off or just to take a Senate bill and let it go through. Um, it's, it's a mess, however it's going to be. There's not going to be any actual legislating. We knew this uh, a month ago that there wasn't going to be any real substantive legislating. It's all about um, the process and the optics and the theater um, and all of that is playing directly into Democrats' hands because they're they're allowing to be put on display uh, just a, a, a failure of governance, which is which is why they're all united and and staying quiet. The, the so-called uh, popcorn caucus, they're calling them, the Democrats, exactly. who are taking their popcorn to the floor and sitting there watching this all uh, uh, unravel. Well, before we take a break and uh, uh, and move on to some other news of the week. I, I want to ask each of you, and uh, I'll start on your guess. Here we are, Friday morning, January 6th, the House, three days in a row, 11 votes have failed to elect a speaker. They're, they're reconvening at noon today. Uh, I want to ask how each of you thinks this is going to play out. Uh, I'll go first and just say, I want to repeat my prediction that Kevin McCarthy will never be speaker and the next speaker will be Steve Scalise. Uh, and that will happen um, sooner or later. <laughs> I'm not sure when, but I think that's how it's going to play out. How do you think it plays out, David? You can be, by the way, you can be right or wrong. I'm just curious. <laughs> well, I'll probably be wrong, as I, as my email to you earlier in the week to demonstrate. <laughs> I've been wrong about this all week, but I generally agree with you. I think at some point McCarthy will withdraw and cut a deal to make Scalise the speaker. What do you think, Sadiq? It, it does seem uh, to be headed uh, that way. I think after a few failed votes today, the real question is, does Kevin McCarthy close the gap? He's actually been losing votes yeah, uh, if, yeah, if, right. at each turn. If, if he can turn it back a little bit, he'll probably think he has another chance to come back on Monday with, with some new votes, maybe get up to 
to 15 or 20 total instead of 11. Um, but this this is ending with Kevin McCarthy um, dropping out of, of the race and uh, in his mind, hoping that Steve Scalise is actually not injured too much from this to be able to to carry it forward. But uh, there, there are, I'm sure, plenty of people who are starting to wonder that as well, whether, whether uh-huh. this process is now hurting the next group. How about you, Lauren? Oh, wow. You know, even though I think, uh, I think Sudeep and David and you, Bill, are, are correct. You're probably going to be correct. I'm going to go the other way. Good. I think, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, what's making me think that it's going to be McCarthy is these major concessions and seeing people like Scott Perry still talking. Um, uh, Bobert and Gates are not talking, but Biggs and Perry are still talking. If he can get three of them, he could probably pull it off. And I do think that right-wing media is now figuring out that this is all a very bad idea and it's starting to turn on them. And right-wing media turning on them means their constituents start sending them notes and stuff. And I just think that that is an untenable thing to have this going on. I also think that McCarthy is not going to drop out. I think he's determined. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, we will see how it plays out. We're going to save the tape of today's (laughs) roundtable. Please don't. (laughs) Uh, And there is other news of the week, believe it or not. This, of course, affects everything else that's going on. We'll take a quick look at what else is happening uh, after a quick break here on the Bill Press Pod, and then we'll be back with uh, Lauren Burke, David Jackson, and Sudeep Reddy and today's Reporters Roundtable. So, friends, I know you saw the uh, the news of President Biden down in Kentucky this week uh, announcing the reconstruction under the infrastructure bill, which he signed last year, reconstruction of the big Bent Spence Bridge across the Ohio River. And standing there with the president and Mitch McConnell, you saw several workers there in their hard hats. They were members of the Great Iron Workers Union. This is their latest project to rebuild that uh, very important bridge over the Ohio River, the Bent Spence Bridge. And we salute the members of the iron workers, uh, again, showing that they are out there rebuilding America uh, and taking care of some of the most important structures uh, in America, uh, all part of the mission of the Iron Workers Union. We thank them for their great work rebuilding America and thank them for their support of the Bill Press Pod. Direct you to their website, ironworkers.org, under the president, Eric Dean. Thank you to the nation's iron workers. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. 
With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And we're back with today's roundtable. Joining us again, Lauren Victoria Burke, writer for The Guardian and Black Press USA, David Jackson, national political correspondent for USA Today, and Sudeep Reddy, senior managing editor of Politico uh, we saw the president on the road again today in a very unusual appearance down in Kentucky, just outside of Cincinnati, um, marking the dedication of the project to rebuild this very important Bent Spence Bridge over the Ohio River. And standing there with uh, President Biden were Mitch McConnell, Republican, of course, Senate leader Mitch McConnell, Republican governor of Ohio, Mike DeWine, former Republican senator of Ohio, Rob Portman, and Democratic Senator of Kentucky, a Democratic Governor of Kentucky, Andy Bashir. Uh, this, uh, well, first of all, here's here's the president uh, giving a kind of a little, uh, very warm word here for Mitch McConnell. Leader McConnell, I don't agree on everything. In fact, we disagree on a lot of things, but here's what matters. He's a man of his word. When he gives you his word, you can take it to the bank, you can count on it, and he's willing to find common ground to get things done for the country. So thank you, Mitch. Thank you. Uh, hey, Sudeep, this was the split screen this week, right? The very day Republicans are, are falling all over themselves in the House. Uh, here's the president and Mitch McConnell hand in hand in Kentucky. It, it was just absolutely remarkable. Obviously, this trip uh, had been planned for weeks. And uh, the Biden people could not have known that the, the House would look uh, as, like as much of a, a circus or a clown show as it did. Um, but it is it is uh, it, it was like the perfect gift for for Democrats to be portraying the we got something done. We did the thing that not Donald Trump, uh, not Barack Obama, neither, neither president could do. We got the bipartisan infrastructure bill done. We're actually fixing things. Meanwhile, they're they're going to vote after vote in the House and. Um, it was a remarkable split screen, and it is definitely one that will be appearing. Uh, scenes from that will be appearing in Biden campaign ads. <laughs> Boy, you know that. So, Lauren, do you think this is sort of a one and done for Biden, or does this indicate that he and Mitch McConnell are going to be actually able to work together on some other things? Uh, you know what? Knowing Joe Biden, it's probably not a one and done. I, I do think he's still in love with the Senate that he grew up in in the 1990s uh, that had, you know, Ted Kennedy and Chris Dodd. And it did have Jesse Helms and Strom Thurmond, but it also had John Warner. Mm -hmm. And that's yeah. the Senate that we that's the Senate we don't see now. And that's the politics we don't see now. I think Biden uh, is in love with that politics. And certainly there's good reason for that. That's where he really came of age. And I think if Mitch McConnell, if you gave him sodium pentothal, he would say the same thing. <laughs> uh, but he just has to say the, you know, he has to do the ideological thing. But, you know, I don't think this is a one and done. I do think it'll happen again. Um, and um, the question, David, I guess, is on the politics of it, that, you know, what is the politically popular thing to do? Republicans seem to think that it's... Um, you know, uh, not getting things done, that counts. Uh, and Democrat and Joe Biden certainly thinks no working together to get things done. In the end, 
What plays best with the American people? Well, I think it's clear that voters want the two parties to work together. I mean, that they're, they're not uh, they don't fully endorse some of the you know Bernie Sanders, Joe Biden style government that the Democrats are proposing, uh, but they support part of it. Uh, I think they're looking to the Republicans to try to restrain some of this government spending, but they don't want them to just terminate government. They want people to work together and at least look competent in doing so. And that's we, we, this has been far from the case that we've seen this week. So I think that the, the Democrats have the right idea. And McConnell, uh, I think they you know, I think they hear voters telling them to work together to get things done for the country. And that's what they did this week, at least on the Senate and the White House side. You know, and ironically, it's something as uh, unsexy as infrastructure, right, <laughs> uh, that they can gr- agree on. Because well, we, we, we talk about how the Biden-McConnell meeting was remarkable, and it was, but just think about that, that it's remarkable. This used to be pretty much business as usual, right? Yep. The president always meets with the leader of the opposing parties, just to feel them out and see what can be, can get done. I mean, this is just to be standard operating procedure. Now it's considered extraordinary. And it was also standing operating procedure that they would pass a, uh, what we didn't call it an infrastructure bill at the time, whatever, but a bill for like five years for public public works, you know, looking out, right? Uh, and now it too has become a political football, although in this case, again, Biden was able to bring that coalition back together. Uh, I want to come back to, we mentioned briefly, this is a second anniversary of January 6th. Um, so deep, how important is it that... Uh, Biden recognized these 12 heroes of uh, January 6th. As Lauren indicated, they include a Capitol Police officer, Harry Dunn, Eugene Goodman, former police officer, Michael Fanon, the Speaker of the Arizona Senate, the Secretary of State of Michigan, and people who stood up on on January 6th and defended democracy. It is uh, remarkable how many Republicans are in particular trying to to obviously just move away from everything that happened on January 6th and and say this was this was just a, a kind of a sideshow when it was such a profound moment not just for uh, American politics and governance but just for the country it was an attack on the country and uh, when you when you think about the the people who are impacted in in all sorts of just truly devastating ways but also the people who who stepped forward and and did the individual acts of heroism uh, in all of this? All of that it, it shouldn't and can't be forgotten. And just uh, as as a core idea of being president and governing and recognizing all of that in a democracy, it's important. It's obviously striking that it's happening uh, today against this this backdrop of, mm-hmm. of of a very very different kind of of uh, governing chaos um, in the same building, but. Uh, it is it is just remarkable, and again, it, it's quite striking that we'll have two split screen moments uh, in a week uh, again. of all this. But, but we've got it uh, yet again. Yeah, another one today. And Lauren, it's I think it's worth pointing out these are among those honored today are police officers who were uh, nominated for the Congressional Gold Medal, right? And I think the majority of Republicans in the House conference voted against giving them that award uh, a couple of years ago. I believe that they didn't. Actually, I think the Democrats just rushed the ceremony last month, thinking that it probably wouldn't happen if, with the Republicans in charge. Uh, yeah. In the interest of in the interest of full disclosure, I've been dating a Capitol police officer for many years now. I'm very proud of him. 
Uh, I held his congressional gold medal in my hand yesterday. They went to pick him up downstairs in the Capitol. And I'm very proud of him. He is not the type of cop, unlike my father, who was a cop in New York. He's not the type of cop who's into guns or being in control of other people. Um, he's not that John Wayne cop. He's just there for the pension, really. <laughs> and uh, and uh, so I will be going to the White House today to see two friends of mine, uh, Eugene uh-huh. Goodman and Harry Dunn. And, uh, I, you know, I just would say that what they went through was extraordinary. It was dangerous. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I just cannot believe that any political party would make any of this political when you talk about the Capitol Police, because they are there guarding you. They're guarding the lives of members of Congress, whether you're a Republican or Democrat. And, uh, you know, I know a lot of uh, cops who are Trump supporters who uh, voted for Trump, and they were just as shocked uh, as everybody else. I mean, they were not just thinking that this was okay. Uh, So, you know, uh, the gold medal is well-deserved, and the the medals that the president is going to give the uh, guys today is well-deserved. So, um, you know, we'll see what happens next. They put themselves on the line. They were defending us. They were defending democracy. And it's great to see them get this, get it recognition, as well as them as the other people in the political arena, too, uh, who stood up and uh, and did the right thing uh, on January 6th. Well, uh, so much happening this week. That's a good roundup so far of what we've seen. And we have a big thank you to our panelists, uh, Sadiq Reddy from Politico, David Jackson, USA Today, and Lauren Burke from The Guardian and Black Press USA. There was a lot of other stuff going on this week, however. Uh, So we do want to ask you if it's something we've talked about or not. What caught your attention this week particularly and made you kind of stop and uh, scratch your head or think or laugh or cry or whatever, your favorite story of the week. Where do we start? Sudeep, can you start us off? Bill, we didn't need the circus in the house today to be about Kevin, this week to be about Kevin McCarthy, because we had George Santos, and it is just <laughs> the best story with, obviously, it's, it's, uh, it's it, remarkable that somebody like that got to this point, um, but it's just such a delicious story with otherwise relatively uh, minor consequences uh, in, in the larger scheme of things. But it's just such a good story, and I cannot get enough of it. But the thing that I just went on a deep dive on is the the look at uh, at George Santos's crime history in Brazil, stealing yeah. money, getting arrested, essentially admitting on social media that he had done it, and now having to pay the price more than a decade later. It is just such a great story, and I wish we could have more of it. Um, but it is he is he is spawning a thousand memes this week, and we owe him. Uh, for for at least delighting us in the chaos. Well, 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 I think you will have a lot more of it, right? I mean, because the Brazilian Brazilian authorities have said now they know where he is, they're going to track him down. Right? Exactly, and they'll they'll have to send some papers, and, and <laughs> we'll have a fight over that. It's going to be great. And he, the poor guy sat there in the back of the of the house chamber with nobody sitting around him, <laughs> nobody daring to be photographed <laughs> sitting just, sitting near him. <laughs> chef's kiss, just perfect, just perfect. <laughs> uh, so, Lauren, uh, what caught your attention in, in particular? <laughs> I'm, I'm tempted to say exactly what Sudeep just said, but I'm going to bring it off the, that topic and say that uh, in the Atlantic. Um, I just noticed it. It had probably been published previously, but I just noticed it this week. I'm, my reading is behind. There's a story called Why the Past 10 Years of American Life Has Have Been Uniquely Stupid by Jonathan Haidt. And it just went through in detail the impact of social media 
on mm. the collective community conversation on politics, specifically Facebook, uh, the mm. psychological aspects of it all. And it was just a very long and very well-written and well-documented piece. So I'm going to throw that out there. Boy, has it ever dumbed us all down, right? <laughs> I'll have to go back and read that piece myself. David Jackson, your favorite story of the week. I don't know if it's a favorite story, but uh, it certainly caught my eye, and I think a lot of others, and uh, the fate of uh, the football player, Buffalo Bills, oh. DeMar Hamlin, oh. who collapsed on yeah. the field Monday night. Uh, thankfully, he, he, he is alive and, and apparently doing better. But uh, I'm a huge football fan, as, as are a lot of people in both parties, I might add. Uh, and uh, the players are better and stronger and more capable than they've ever been, and therefore the game is more dangerous. We've worried for many years about someone being killed in a football game or paralyzed, and situations happen now. It wasn't a head injury. It was a heart attack on the field. It turns out that uh, if you're hit in the chest at a certain angle, you'll have heart arrhythmia, and it could stop, and that's what happened to this young man. And uh, it's, it's, it's something that makes a lot of people think about the fragility of life and what we're all doing here. And, I, and the, one of the things that particularly struck me was the response of the medical crew at the – Oh, boy. Yeah. At the stadium. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there are tapes now of, of people talking about, you know, we, we need to get this here. Uh, I don't like the way he fell. We need to get some oxygen out here. And just the professionalism and the, and the ability of our medical, just as happened during COVID, the, the professionalism and the ability of uh, our emergency medical people is just really something to behold. And one of my favorite quotes of the week was the guy who said, if, if, you, if you're going to have cardiac arrest, the best place to have it is in an airport or at a football stadium <laughs> because all of the equipment to help you is there. And that's what happened. And it saved Demar Hamlin's life. And uh, that's what struck me, even, even more so than the McCarthy story. Uh, it was it was just horrific to watch that video over and over again right. of the young kid making the tackle, standing up and then falling back right away. Do you think it'll have any impact at all on public support for such a dangerous sport? Uh, you know, probably not, frankly. I mean, we, like I say, we've been talking about this for years. And if anything, the, the popularity of the NFL has grown, despite Donald Trump's complaints, I might add. But uh, probably not. I think we might see some equipment changes, maybe a chest protector or something. And a couple of doctors pointed out that on health screenings for players, that, the, that, that their health screenings for heart issues are probably inadequate. So I think we'll see some changes there. But in terms of the popularity of the game, I mean, frankly, no. I mean, yeah. <laughs> as far as I'm it's a great product. It's, 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 uh, it's a lot of skill and it's fun to watch. And I don't see that changing anytime soon, quite frankly. All right, so my favorite story of the week, I'm going to stick to the sports arena, uh, which is rare for me, but I want to give a big shout out to Scott Stallings. He's um, ah. a realtor down in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, who happens to have the same name as a pro golfer, Scott Stallings, who's a pretty good golfer, actually. Uh, so the realtor, Scott Stallings, uh, in Atlanta, he showed up with his wife at their vacation house, and there was a package on his door from the Atlanta Masters Tournament. Uh, he, he and his wife thought, oh, we've been trying to get tickets to go see the Masters and never been able to get any tickets. So maybe this year, even though they hadn't already applied for tickets for this year, maybe they're sending us 
early some tickets and they opened it up and no, no, no. It was actually an invitation for Scott Stallings to play in this year's Masters Tournament <laughs> 2023. This guy, he said he's a casual golfer. He knew they had the wrong Scott Stallings. So he tracked down the real Scott Stallings and told him he received his invitation to play and he forwarded it to, this, uh, to the golfer's uh, home address. Uh, and in... Um, as a reward for being such a good citizen, the real Scott Stallings has, has invited the other Scott Stallings to attend the Masters this year, to have dinner with him at the country club, and even to play in a practice round at the Masters. So, uh, boy, he hit his bucket list big time <laughs> through the mistake of the Masters. I thought that was a... Uh, a great story. I'd be scared shitless if somebody sent me an invitation <laughs> to play in the Atlanta Masters. <laughs> All right. Hey, thank you so much, uh, panelist Lauren Burke. Thank you so much. Uh, good to have you back. David Jackson, Sadiq Reddy. Many, many thanks for a good look at the, the, the news of the week. And thanks to all of you, our good friends, for joining us today. Again, Happy New Year. We'll be back on Tuesday with a very exciting conversation with Jonathan Martin, now the chief political uh, writer for Politico. And we're going to be talking with Jonathan Martin about the looking at the political landscape for 2023 and 2024. That's the next edition of the Bill Press Pod. Have a great weekend. Come back and see us on Tuesday, the next edition of the Bill Press Pod.